Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a fresh new episode of Social Compost, where we bring the social back to conversations. And tonight we have our first, first female guest, and she's is all it, the way. Is it really? Is it? Is it really our first female guest? Yes, oh, it okay. is. Okay, okay. And I'll give you the honors to introduce her because uh, I think you know her better than me. So. Okay. Um... Um, I'm gonna, gonna gonna give a quick story because uh, when I'm at events in, in in the U.S. but everywhere in the world, I try to network and mingle with others, learn where people are from, and I think two years ago I decided okay I need to do something extra. I started handing out a Surinamese pins with a Surinamese flag on them wherever I went and made friends, and. During the conference, this is one of the bigger conferences uh, when it comes definitely comes to social media in, in San Diego, social media marketing world. And there was this woman walking by who looked like she was in total control of everything that was ha- happening and with orange glasses. And she looked at my jacket and I had the Surinamese. I think it was this jacket. I actually have it here. She can confirm it or not. But I think it was this jacket which has the Surinamese flag on it. And um, and she was like, Suriname. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I found out that she speaks Dutch, that she speaks Dutch, that she is from the Netherlands originally. And we started speaking. And basically, she has started impacting my life ever since. She doesn't take any credit for it. But a lot of the success and a lot of success which I accomplished in the, in the field of social media uh, she has had an impact on over the past couple of years. So without further ado, let's introduce Dorin Morin van Dam. Welcome to the show, uh, Dorin. Wow. Hi, Dorin. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's about as a good of an introduction as I could have just imagined. Thank you, Jean-Luc. Hi, Diego. Um, Hi. Yeah, awesome. I can't believe I'm the first female guest. What took you so long? <laughs> well, we had to make it someone, you know, with that stands out and we see those orange glasses that Jean-Luc talked about. It's really, I think, iconic. Um, and I, I have a feeling where that orange comes from, but uh, we, we'll let you talk more about it in a bit. Uh, it's quite interesting to hear, really, because as he man- Jean-Luc mentioned during the conference, he was walking around and the disconnection between people um, that you recognize the flag and the Dutch language, it's, you sometimes take it for granted, but when you're in a country where they don't speak the language and you see something like historically similar, it really brings an instant connection between people. I've had this experience myself uh, when I was abroad, and I think it's quite extraordinary. So yeah, Darin, welcome to the show and glad to have you with us but i gotta ask when i saw those orange glasses the first time uh i checked out your socials online and there was one thing that popped up in my mind immediately and that's uh seth godin not sure if you 
Yeah. I know who he is. <laughs> he copied he also, me. <laughs> he also has these iconic colored glasses uh, every time he's somewhere. And I got to ask, is that something coincidence? Is that some inspiration or is it just, you know, uh, no connection well, at all? Just random. You know, you know why I wear them? Because when I started my business 10 years ago, um, I had been in the US for over 20 years, but 100% Dutch immigrated when I was 18. So I wanted to name my company or have something that identified myself as, as, as Dutch, right? So um, I, by accident, started wearing, it was a cardboard pair of glasses. Um, somebody has sent it to me for Koninidag, right? So set it in the mail, a flat piece of, you know, orange glasses, I put them on, um, I made that my profile picture and I, I was locally networking and three, two or three people came up to me and go, I know you from somewhere. And then you go, you're the one with the funny orange glasses in your Facebook picture. That's how that started. It was almost like accidental. And then um, I got my first pair of glasses that didn't have any, they're like non-prescription. And so I started wearing them. This is probably my seventh or eighth pair. Um, but now my tagline is you'll recognize me online and offline by my orange glasses, right? Because when I'm on stage, people remember when I'm at a conference, people come to me and say, Hey, I've seen you. I know you online. Um, so it's definitely something, uh, recognizable. I know some people wear funny socks or funny suits, um, you know, certain hair color, purple hair, pink hair. For me, it just happens to be the orange glasses, and it's worked really well. Now, Seth Godin probably just copied me, um, but at least I have the connection. The reason for orange is that I'm Dutch, right? So, um, you know, have that homeland pride. That's why I wear them. But the funny, the other funny story to that is when I started my business, I lived in South Carolina. And for those of you that are watching or listening and know anything about college football, South Carolina is home to the Clemson Tigers. So their favorite color is orange. So in South Carolina, people go, oh, you must be a Clemson fan. <laughs> so that was kind of a funny thing that happened while I lived there. But no, I always tell people now it's because I'm Dutch. Okay. Okay. So it, so there's kind of an, an accident to it, but also very, very clear why. But you said non-prescription? Prescription? Is that correct? That's correct. I actually don't need to wear them. Although now wow. we're, we're 10 years along and <laughs> um, I actually have a prescription sitting right here. I need to actually order my first oh. glasses with, with um, prescription. But I haven't found some, I need every, probably every year or two, I order some uh, new frames and I haven't found any cool orange frames. So I'm holding off. But yeah, I actually need to get some with prescription in them, but they've been fake for 10 years. It totally works. Oh, wow! I need to. Don't, don't I need to get anybody. my. I need to get my Udu glasses on now. I almost feel like I have to wear my glasses also. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. But, um, so you actually moved to the to the U.S. when you were eighteen. Mm -hmm. That classic going to the U.S. as an au pair. My, I wanted to go as a high school student. My parents couldn't afford to send me. Um, so finished high school and I was like, I'm going to be an au pair for a year. And, um, you know, while I was here, I met somebody and I ended up staying. So, um, yeah, been here for, uh, you, you don't have to say it because then people want to guess your age. So you oh, it's okay. It's been <laughs> over 30 years. Let me just say it like that. It's been a long time. Yeah. 
I've lived longer okay. in the U.S. than I lived in the Netherlands. But you know, those 18 okay. years count for a lot. You know, they they um, really shape who you are. They shape how you think. They shape how you you know um, how you process things. Um, you know, it is really. It, I am through and through Dutch. You know, I'm very direct. Uh, you know, all all those things that you would attribute to Dutch people. I feel like I'm 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 that. So uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, shows through your uh, personality and your branding and you keep that in a higher regard as well. Because everything orange and you just said, yeah, the, the Dutch love orange. Um, we won't go into the history of the Dutch uh, orange lineage, but it is very, very iconic. Mm -hmm. And you being able to utilize that as part of your brand, part of your messaging is a really, really fun play on that. Mm -hmm. So I got to ask, um, after like moving, having decided to stay in the United States, how has that, I guess, was there a big difference between Europe and the US that you had to adjust to compared to if it was um, any other place like Suriname, you haven't been here before, but usually when people go abroad, there is this culture, uh, what you call it, shift or shock that you have to adjust to. Was that anything for you? Um, well, I have to, uh, in a way, no. Um, there was a language barrier. I barely spoke, I mean, I'd had couple of years of English in high school, like all the Dutch people, but you know, they teach British English in the Netherlands, right? Not American English. And I had been, you know, had had a couple of years of French and German, you know, the Dutch, we, I'm sure you too have to learn several languages. Um, so when I came here, my English was really pretty limited. Um, but here's the thing. I have moved from my parents' home into the home of a family for to be their au pair. Um, and I was really young at 18. So I never lived alone in the Netherlands. I had never moved out of my parents' home into my own household, into my own room, into my own, you know, with a roommate. So I never did laundry. I never went grocery shopping on my own. I didn't do all those Dutch things. Like once you move out, you learn all those things. I learned them the American way. I learned how to cook in America. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't even know how to fry an egg. So I learned how to cook here. I learned how to do laundry here. I learned how to clean the American way. So not that I didn't do any of those chores at home, but I helped my mom and I wasn't in charge. So when I learned how to set up a household and how to integrate in society, those things were easier because I was younger. And what I hear from a lot of Dutch people that immigrate um, to the US or I, they compare everything. I can't get the laundry is white, you know, my whites are, are dingy, you know, I hear all these, I can't find this ingredient to make this recipe. Well, I don't have any of those issues. I have never had any because I learned everything here. Um, so that I think has made it easier for me. And then the other thing is within the Netherlands, um, I had moved around, my dad was in the military. So I had moved around when I, I moved when I was five and moved when I was 10. And so moving to the different parts of the Netherlands, there's different dialects there. And I'm the middle one of five kids. And I was always the first one to adjust to that. I have a, I have a little bit of a hearing loss, but I have a very good ear for languages. 
So I was able to not only learn English, but really mimic. Um, I learned English in Boston, really mimic that really quickly. Um, so within two or three years, maybe three or four, um, I lost most of my accent. So I, I have friends who've been here longer than me. And every time they open their mouth, somebody goes, where are you from? Nobody <laughs> asked me that. And they haven't in a long time. So that helps you integrate m much more easily. Um, the hardest cultural things I think for me have been, I don't have a history here, like a school history. Um, like people have friends from elementary school or friends from high school that like don't have that. And then the cultural references to uh, music, uh, to old TV shows, those just, I mean, there were different things going on in the, in the Netherlands. Plus I grew up in a very sheltered, um, a very sheltered household, very sheltered family. So I didn't go to the movies and I, I didn't do all of those things. So um, I miss, there's a gap there, I think. Um, compared to my American, um, you know, contemporaries. I do want to move into that, Diego, if there's an opportunity uh, to talk about um, favorite, because I want to know what's your favorite kind of music? See, right now it's uh, my favorite kind of music is probably folklore. Like uh, I love... Um, Oh, uh, the Lumineers, I love, you know, like guitar music, good lyrics. Um, who else do I like? Uh, I'm not, let me say it this way. I like listening to music, but I, I, my kids will, are on Spotify and are on uh, Pandora all the time. I don't ever turn on music and go, oh, I want to listen to music. I do that when I'm in the car and by myself and I'm really bored because I can't talk to myself. That's when I listen to music. So it's, that's not a big part of my life. Um, okay. music. So does that, that's, does that make sense? And movies? Um, yeah, romantic comedies for sure. Um, I really like series. I, I'm an avid reader. So, um, I get, I get hung up on these, um, Netflix series or Hulu series because to me, it's like a book. You know, starts here and ends here, and I don't care if that's fifty episodes. I need to know the end. So that's kind of a uh, an addiction here on my end. Where um, you know, if it was a book, you knew when it ended, and here it's like, oh, it's the end of season one. Oh, there's another book. I need it. You know, another season. I got to read it. So um, I really like the visual along with the sound. I think what Jean-Luc was trying to get to is to see if you're. <laughs> <laughs> have any preference to Dutch or uh, American music slash shows? No, not really. Um, having been gone from the Netherlands so long, remember when I left, uh, there wasn't social media. Um, so that wasn't really access to Dutch TV. Now you can go on YouTube. Um, so I grew up with Dumar, um, Frank Boeijegroep, uh, you know, some of that, some of those. Yeah, Dumar, Dumar has been 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 re-cultured in, in in more recent years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So though, yeah. you know, I I every once in a while I'll listen to that music. For a while in the '90s and early 2000s, I had a pretty big CD collection. Um, so I would go to the Netherlands and my brothers or my sister would give me some music and I would listen to that. But now that you find anything online, um, 
you know, I've tried to find some Dutch stuff on Pandora, but um, I do like the let the the um the music where they they um sing in Dutch because it really it just it then it has way more meaning to me and it's almost like poetry to me because um you know I don't really uh you know I don't speak Dutch on a daily basis so when I listen to the Dutch music it really it it feels like home so yeah cool um you just mentioned social media but before we head into that there was no social media back then there's a question from the comment section um was there any feeling of homesickness after i guess five years or something um no the homesickness came when my children were born so um my my first child was born eight years after i moved to the u.s um and so that's kind of when i realized okay my my kids will not have american cousins and the dutch cousins are in the netherlands they won't have an opa noma nearby you know it's a very different um family relation when they don't get to see my children grow up and again he was born before social media was really a thing So with my first two children, I think we were we were we were taking pictures, going to the to the pharmacy, getting pictures developed, sending them in an envelope, and sending them over there. Um, I think with my second, my third, and my fourth, there were some email pictures going around. Um, but nowadays, you could live stream a birth and what's going on with grandchildren. So it was a very different. That's when the homesickness kind of came. Um, but I think that's a very normal thing around seven, eight years after you've been in the country. So that, to me, that makes really a lot of sense too. Um, but I did um, speak Dutch to my children right from the start. And they're, uh, except the youngest one who heard more English because the other ones were in school, um, they all speak Dutch. Uh, they have Dutch names, um, Dutch passports. So I've tried to keep that keep that culture alive and give them a little bit of that. And like I said, they don't have American cousins because my husband's siblings don't have kids. Um, so all their cousins are in the Netherlands. So I, I you know, it's important that they know them and um, yeah. Yeah. And this all in a time where there was no social media. So how did you even end up as what you are now a social media strategist? Well, that's interesting. So, uh, in my youngest son was born in 2005 and so when he was going to start or when he started kindergarten in 2010 um, i had basically been an au pair a nanny and then a stay-at-home mom for all the years i lived in the us um, i had not worked outside the home and so all of a sudden i have four kids in school what am i going to do I have four kids what am i going to do like all this time i had volunteered in the community volunteered at my church um, But now I had seven hours a day. Um, my husband, in the meantime, had had his own business for a lot of years. And he's like, can you figure out this Twitter thing? So he kind of was asking for help with marketing his business. Um, and I found an online course. Um, again, remember I told you that um, earlier how I learned with the music and, you know, Netflix works for me, videos worked. So I started kind of watching the videos and then I'm very much a doer. So um, I watched some videos, I learned a little bit of stuff, and I just was like, I'm creating a LinkedIn profile. So I created a LinkedIn profile, told, put on there, I'm a social media manager, um, gave myself a title, 
And somebody, local charity said, said, hey, we don't have any social media. Can you help us? Apparently in my town, I was the first social media manager. So um, I'm like, yeah, they're like, well, we can't pay you. So instead of paying me, they gave me um, a title, social media director. Now that sounds really good. So I put that on LinkedIn. Now I'm a social media director, not just a manager. And I ended up working with them for three years. Um, and because of that, I was able to get paying clients, right? Because now I'm a social media director for this charity. It's really cool. And um, started getting local clients. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, you know, I just did it. And here's a funny, here's a funny story. I know you guys like stories. So about three months in, I started my business, you know, created a website, don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but I realized in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I was living at the time that a lot of people wanted to know about social media. So I put together a social media workshop. Now, um, it's going to cost me $100 to rent a room at the local college, I was charging $20 a head. So I got six people in there. So you would think I'm ahead $20 for a three hour workshop. <laughs> but it took me like three days to put it together. And as I'm walking out the door, I remember my husband looking at me and going, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just gonna figure it out when I get there. <laughs> and so that's kind of been my style. Um, I've kind of rolled into a lot of different roles along the way. And if you look at a 10 year span in social media, that's kind of a long time to work in here. So things have evolved, things have changed. Um, you know, I've gotten in a couple of different niches and, um, but that's kind of how I got started. I'm just, I just did it. And I wasn't really worried about what other people would think of me. And I just did it. I want to jump into that because somebody in the comments uh, is laughing here. Ashna, thank you for joining in. And I think it's really fun because Ashna actually, she runs a restaurant. And at a certain point, she was like, uh, I want to learn more about social media. So she did an internship with us while she had her own restaurant. She took an internship with Ineffable just to figure out the social media side of things. And uh, of course, we were like, yeah, but don't you want to do this full time? You're pretty good at it. And she was like, no, my business. I actually did to learn about my business. So I think that's where the, the emoji comes from. And then Marvin asks, how would you compare, and this is more not from the business side, but I think also from the social side, how would you compare life before social media and now? What are kind of things that you're looking back and thinking like, whoa, this has really changed or just this, this is the same? There are some things that are much better with social media, but there are things that are way worse. And so I think finding that balance is good. Before social media, um, we had real meaningful conversations with people, right? Um, it was great to go out with the girls, with the girls or, you know, with friends. And we would sit at a table and have real conversations. We would have dinner parties. We would go to, you know, I lived at the beach, go to the beach and, you know, really talk to the other moms and um, really have real true connections. But then it was really hard being away and being in a different country, not being able to talk to my parents very often and my kids not being able to see them. And so now that there is social media, it's that double-edged sword. It's awesome. The kids can WhatsApp with, with cousins. We can do FaceTime. We can, um, you know, I can call my brothers for free on WhatsApp. You know, it's all wonderful. But then all we're doing is having this phone in. It's like an extension of our, that's what I feel sometimes, extension of my hand. It's just there. And so um, one of the things that we've done, we've moved to a very rural area. 
um, last about a year and a half ago, um, we moved from South Carolina, which is in the southern part of the U.S., to um, Vermont, which is one of the most northern states near Canada. And we're in a very rural area where we do skiing and hiking and biking and fishing and we're outside and um, we spend a lot more time off our phones. And then the other thing that I've done uh, in my business, which is a little different, um, I really try to be off my phone on the weekends. So really not, at least if I have to do some work, I'll go on my computer, but not have my phone on me at all times. So that really makes a difference. But yeah, life has changed. And I'm not saying it's not bad, but sometimes the good old days when we, on Sundays, you know, we would just play board games all day, you know, and that's what we did. Now kids just watch YouTube videos. You know, it's a, it's just, it's a different, especially, I'm glad that when my kids were little, um, a lot of these things weren't around. Our, I think we got our first home computer for the kids when the oldest one was 11, um, 10 or 11, and they may, might've gotten like a PlayStation after that. Um, but they really didn't watch very much TV and they really didn't play all the time. My youngest, you know, he started playing games when he was seven, six or seven. So he's been on the computer a lot longer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, kids don't really know how to do some of those things anymore. So, you it's, know, it's it, interesting that you, I want to jump into this because it's yeah. interesting that you bring this up. Uh, my children were bo basically born and raised there, being raised now with phones in their hand. Mm -hmm. um, but when I put out a gaming board to play an actual physical game with them, or I want to do sports with them, uh, my son loves to play football, like uh, soccer. Yeah. Um, they immediately let go of the 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 digital activity that they are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter likes to read. We at a very young age decided we're gonna read stories to her from a book every night, mm -hmm. and that kind of engaged her with her making it easy to take out a book and actually read. So I do think this is something in society we take for granted, especially if you're busy, if you're a busy parent, you work two jobs, you're so tired that you, you don't get to put in the effort. And I especially have respect for you since you have four kids. So <laughs> two for me is already like, oh my God, this is this is not gonna end well. But I think I think we it, it's on one side, yes, it's very addictive, but on the other side, it also takes a little bit of effort to actually decide that you want to raise your children knowing like the the, the screen is not the only thing. Because if they have nothing to do, they will refer to the screen, especially with Netflix and in, in the mm -hmm. US Hulu as well. You would just refer to a screen because, oh, okay, I'm not getting attention. Let's go to the screen. And if you can control that, I think it's very well possible to, to stay away and I, I wish, I wish I had. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get there to put my phone away in the weekends. I, I really, think, really yeah. I was gonna say, I think the word that we're looking for is intentional. You know, before yeah. it was just natural, and now you have to do it intentionally. We reinstituted, or we only have one son left at home. Mm -hmm. He's um, 16, but we in, we reinstituted game night. So we'll go in the basement. We've got a keg. We have a table. We go play games. It's fun. If friends come over, they have sleepovers. You know, friends come over. We'll do game nights, and those 16 year old boys love it when I play games with them. It's fun. But it has to be intentional because if I don't say let's go play games, they go play online games or watch YouTube. So I think that that whole new generation, I, I think my kids, my three older kids, they're between 24 and 20. So 24, 22 and 20. I think they, um, they're in that in-between generation. They didn't have it growing up. 
but by the time they were teenagers, they got a phone when they were like 14, 15. Now there's a new generation of kids that have phones when they're two or three or five. So, um, you know, and I think we're probably the last set of parents I am that grew, that grew up without social media um, because there's now kids like my son who's 24 that are starting to raise kids um, that, you know, that have had it most of their life. So it's a, it's a very transitional thing right now. But I think being intentional is really important. And we did the same thing. We read every night to our kids and um, they absolutely loved it. That's how my kids ended up being bilingual, I think, because I would read in Dutch and my husband would read in English. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on the topic of uh, raising children and how social media affects that, we actually have a viewer from the Netherlands right now. And Rudy says he loves hearing that you raised your children with Dutch culture. But he asked, what are your views on the tradition like Swarte Piet and thus controversy surrounding topics like these affect social media in your area or the way you've raised your kids in general? Well, I think that's a, that's a great question. And uh, things have evolved since I've left the Netherlands because you're indoctrinated when you live there and you grow up and that's all you know. So, um, yeah, when I first moved here and I was in Boston, I was in Philadelphia, we had celebrations in the U.S. with Swarte Piet. And that's just what you did because that's all you knew. But I think if you still want to do that and you live in 2021, I think you have your head in the sand and that's kind of crazy. I think that with the rise of social media, um, everybody else in the world has seen what the Dutch children see. I think when it was almost like hidden, it was a part of a culture and it was within the confines of a country. I'm not saying it was right, but I think it was more acceptable and I think when the world opened up through because of social media, I think people got different views and different um, angles to see what it would feel like. Um, I know I certainly have changed my mind. I think that, you know, we shouldn't have sword to beat. I do think it's um, no matter how many excuses you have of this is a cultural and this is a children's um, party because that's what I hear all the time, um, you know, say, say it was wrong and, you know, make it a different color or make it, I don't know. I, I just think the whole controversy, now let me say it this way. I think a lot of Dutch people are not exposed to real racism. Um, and they, because of that, they don't recognize when it happens. I guess that's a good way to say it. Um, and they don't, and, and having lived in the South of the US, um, having had a black um, foster son living with us for a year, um, it's really opened my eyes to um, that it's everywhere and that it's in all of us and that um, we all have biases that we live with. And um, to just say it's not there or it's innocent, um, I think we're way beyond that in 2021. But it's also indeed bias and prejudice, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's racial, racial bias. A lot of times it's racial bias, not necessarily racism, but it gets, it can get into racism quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I do want to share what happened in, in Suriname okay. with, with center, with center class, because that's a very interesting story. Um, 
So I think the biggest difference why we managed to get out of the, the issue quite easily in Suriname um, is because we don't have the market. But I think what of most people, the, the economics behind Sinterklaas and even Swarte Piet, the economics are huge. I mean, it starts in October even. And starting from October on until December, there's this big market filled up with a traditional holiday. And everything is built around it. So the complete economics, we spoke about Albert Heijn earlier and other supermarkets, they jump jump into it. So it's it's like this big market, which is connected to tradition, which is kind of this media machine that goes crazy. And it's very big. So it's, it's very hard to let go of tra- tradition. So what happened in Suriname at a certain point is that because we didn't have that economic value to that tradition, we moved to Children's Day. So instead of calling it Santa Claus, we moved to Children's Day. The 5th of December in Suriname is Children's Day. And because of that, it was easy to remove the Swarte Piet with fairy princesses. And princesses, like, it's really easy for us because the actual stores that sell off all these costumes, uh, they could provide costumes for princesses. So all of a sudden, the market dynamics changed. And because we didn't really have the value with things like Pakis Avon and, and really the, the, the Intoch, like a center class coming to the country, we don't have that strong tradition as the Netherlands has because it's really part of their culture. We kind of moved away from who's helping out center class. It doesn't matter. Let's just put in Disney princesses to help out center class. So it was much easier in Suriname to let go of that tradition of this has to be the helper and this is what he has to look like or she has to look like. We just moved it completely in a different direction. Uh, where that's it awesome. I didn't consolidate. know that. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's really, really neat. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of a, a way that, but again, I understand it a little bit better because when I studied in the Netherlands, I saw how big the Sinterklaas tradition was. So that made it kind of, it made it difficult because I didn't know about uh, the, the uh, pa- packaging nights like Pakis Avent and those kind of mm-hmm. things. So uh, I think people underestimate on one side how hard it is for Dutch people to let go of certain parts of the tradition. Because for me, as a Surinamese person who studied in the Netherlands, the tradition is Sinterklaas. It's not mm-hmm. Swarte Piet. The tradition is Sinterklaas. Whereas my wife, who was born in the Netherlands, lived in the Netherlands, for her, Swarte Piet is kind of part of the tradition. Of course, we have certain, we made certain decisions, like my kids, uh, certain YouTubers who, who still go into the Swarte Piet hype and still try to stuff it down people's throat. I'm telling mm-hmm. my children, we're not watching these YouTubers anymore. Right, right. You right. know? That makes sense. But, yeah. but on, the, on the other side, the, the helper is part of the tradition. And I think, I think there's a lot of, we don't, like you said, people are putting their head in the sand and they don't want to face what the real issue is and they don't want to work towards the solution. And I think what we've seen is that we are moving towards acceptance and finding better ways or finding solutions. But yeah, you, can you blame somebody for a certain, certain tradition? Like how, to what extent can you blame well, and I, yeah. not willing to let go of a tradition? And I, I think part of this is, is um, you know, everybody does the best they can until they know better, and then they should do better. 
And I really think that, you know, I'm a vegan, right? I ate meat my whole life and, uh, from the Netherlands, uh, you know, dairy, eggs, milk. I didn't know any better. I thought that's what you're supposed to eat. And five years ago, I watched this movie. My daughter's like, let's go vegan. I went vegan. I feel a hundred times better. Um, I made a choice not to eat that, but I, it's like, Everybody, I remember growing up in the Netherlands saying you have to eat meat to be strong. You have to have milk and eggs to have strong bones. Well, you don't. But you learn that from a young age. And so you you do the best you can. But then when you learn more, you can do better. And I think this is a case where the Dutch people know better, but they don't really want to change and they don't want to make those changes, even though they know better. And I think that's, you know, until social media came, um, it was easy because the world, the other part of the world, I mean, people in the U.S. didn't know what Santa Claus was. Um, they, you know, they didn't know unless they had, you know, family that happened to immigrate from the Netherlands. Very few people understood it. But now everybody does. A lot of people here know what it is and they know the controversy. So um, now that we've all been exposed in the whole world, then I think that it's your responsibility as, as a, as a human being to do better when you know better. And I, and I think that's what frustrates me. And I'm not saying that about veganism or whatever, but there's certain things that when you're little that you, that you learn. And I was say talk about that earlier when I was, you know, moved here when I was 18, I feel like I was fully formed. I was 100% Dutch. That's never going to change. That is me. Um, but all those things that I learned, um, it, it, you know, it was just, you know, and, and I watched a really funny, um, interesting video it was about, um, eating animals, you know, of course, veganism, but you know, if you put a bunch of animals in a room and you ask the kids, which one do you want to eat? They don't want to eat any of them. They don't want to eat the cat, the dog or the pig. Cause they're all cute. Right. But at some point we get conditioned to think that it's okay to eat the pig or the cow or the horse or the chicken, but not the dog or the cat. Well, that's learned behavior. That society teaches you that that's okay. And I think that that is part of what's happening with this right to beat debate. Somebody has to stop this chain of what they're teaching their children. And if the parents aren't taking the responsibility to teach the children, if the schools aren't part of the solution, then this will continue to just go on and on. But at some point, somebody has to say, you know, it, it comes from a lot of, it's not just parents, it's schools, it's society, it's economics, there's all these different things. Um, but yeah, you have to make, want to make a change too. Whoa, this one went quite deep, Diego. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. A simple uh, controversial question, but I think controversy controversial topics at least stir the most interesting conversations because listening to you two um the history on Suriname, me and center class and how you experience it from moving to dutch to the u.s there's an intricate relationship between culture um, economics and social media and as you said before uh, without before social media, controversies like these were kind of confined within their own region, country, or whatever isolated area of the world. But we're more than more connected or more exposed, better said, than ever before through social media. So 
And this ties into, I guess, Rudy's follow-up question, does social media do more good or bad? My personal opinion, it's, it, it depends on how it's being used and received. So I would like to hear your views on how you think this more open, connected, exposed world, how cultures like maybe the prideful Dutch can be impacted through social media or other parts of the world? Are we getting more connected or more disconnected in your view through social media? Um, I think it's a positive thing. Um, again, if you use it intentionally, um, I am part, for example, I, you know, you talked about homesickness earlier. Um, I'm now part of, for example, a Facebook group that's called Wereldfrauwe. And there's over 20,000 Dutch women that live all over the world that have this Facebook group. It's fantastic. Um, I've been in it for like five years, but it's opened my eyes to, I mean, there's people living probably in every country of the world and they're all together. And our tie is that we speak Dutch. Um, we don't um, have the same experiences growing up. Some of them, some of us have left the Netherlands a long time ago. Some only immigrated last month and they want to be part of it. Um, but it's an incredible resource and it's an incredible place to um connect and to communicate and through that group i met somebody local who lives just down the road and now we are friends i would never have met her had it not been through this facebook group because i would never have seen her but she lives literally three kilometers down the road and she's dutch um so there's so many good things right i'm i'm now we're in COVID. i'm not really able to go out and volunteer it's it's really what i love to do can't go to church is what I love to do, but I can do that through social media. I can attend my old church back in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, attend that because um, of uh, of the internet. Um, I get to volunteer. I have this app on my phone. Guys, if you're watching this, really, really cool. It's called Be My Eyes. Um, it's for visually impaired people. And so um, they call, you, you know, you can answer the phone if it answers. And I have it set to Dutch, which is really cool usually around uh, between four and six for me, which is between 10 and midnight. Um, I get these calls. If I'm not busy, I answer them. And they're visually impaired people in the Netherlands because the, the first language is Dutch that I chose. And they need help with chores. Like my dog threw up. Can you tell me where it is? Or um, there's a code on this game that I have to put in, but I, can't, of course, can't read the code. Can you read the code for me? Or um, I want to heat this up in a microwave. How long do I need to heat it up? Can you read my pet? It's so cool. I'm connected to people in the Netherlands, being able to volunteer and help. So if you're looking at some of these opportunities and these positive ways, um, I've become, I left when I was 18. Um, I have one older brother and sister. I have two younger brothers. One is five years younger. One is 10 years younger. That means that my youngest brother was eight when I left the Netherlands. Not really a good connection when you're eight and 18, right? I mean, don't really know each other. But in the last 10 years through social media, We've been able to reconnect and rebuild a bond, me with my own brothers, um, because of social media. You know, they have a busy life, but we can call with WhatsApp. I'm in the car. I'm calling them. I'm talking to them. These are all very positive things. So I think if you use it, again, intentionally with the right and, and meeting, you know, really think about who you want to meet. Um, and then the same with you, Jean-Luc. You started this conversation with, 
how we met, but you forget, you forgot that I think we met in a group first, in a Facebook group where you ask everybody, do you know where Suriname is? And I think I was about the only one that said, yeah, I know where it is. <laughs> um, sure, sure. But, um, you know, I have made some of the best friendships through social media. I go through these conferences, of course, now this year we can't go, um, but I don't go to learn things necessarily. I learn to meet people. I will pay a lot of money to go to the conferences because I want to meet these people that normally we just meet through the screen like you and I are doing, but then I get to have dinner with them, have breakfast, go on a walk, you know, sit next to them in a room and ask them questions. There's nothing more important than that, but it connects the online and the real world. But I have made really great friends, like for life friends through social media. So it's a very, it can be a very positive thing. Um, but I think you have to, you know, moderation and intention, you know, being intentional and, and moderate what you're doing. That's my answer. Yeah. Are you still there, Shanduk? Yeah. Uh, you go right. Okay, check your connection <laughs> while we do the move on. Um, let's go through some quick uh, comments before we move on. Um, Ashna said she recognized that part of um, what you said about uh, the social media part. And she's really seeing herself in the being intentional, yes. Balance is key. Um, we got some more people tuning in. Shout out to Joanne. Thank you for tuning in. And we got Marlon. I agree on the exposure of racism because sometimes I think biases are taught by influence. And Tevin tuned in as well, saying, That's how are you doing in Surinamese? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I think uh, you learned some Surinamese soon enough. Yeah. Uh, but Moving on, you said you've spoken at different conferences. And if I recap the history part of how you got into social media, you started from volunteering for a few years, basically, um, to learning through the craft. So mm -hmm. it's more of a two-part question. The one part, um, you didn't do really do a formal, I guess, marketing social media uh, through the education system. So how would you compare that volunteer, volunteering experience that you've got or that volunteering education that you got in social media uh, compared to other people or other individuals that went through the institutions like universities doing marketing? Um, in your experience, have you seen any differences, nuances in the approaches? Uh, maybe start with that and then I'll follow up on the conferences part after that. Sure. I, I want to say that I am, I feel very fortunate and very lucky that I happened in so into social media 10 years ago as a courier. Um, like I mentioned before, there wasn't really anybody in my town that was a social media manager. It was kind of a new thing. Um, and I immediately connected to the online social media manager community because I took that online course. So that was a Facebook group and I was able to connect. Um, it, I was a volunteer with them for three years, but I started making money probably the first year uh, with a couple of paid clients. But about three years in, I made that decision 
um, to go to a to my first conference. So I flew out to California. Um, that was that was five years in. That was five years in for the first time I actually flew out there. But I had gone to some other local um, conferences. Um, but I think putting those two worlds, kind of the two worlds collided, made it made it real. Um, but what I learned by volunteering and then starting to work uh, is that this this industry has changed so much in 10 years that even if I had gone to school, I think what I missed initially was not anything that I needed for social media, but was something I needed to run my business. So that's the part I didn't have. My husband has an MBA. He went to business school. I did not. So running my business, I didn't understand. I was good with the social media part. I was good with the marketing part. I got that. I got some clients. But I, what I didn't understand was scaling and scaling my own business and so and leadership and how to deal with clients. And I think those are the things that you get in business school. Obviously, Sean looks going like, yeah. So that took me a lot longer to get to. So about five years in, I started going to conferences. About seven years in, I started speaking. And now I'm 10 years in. And in the last year, I have scaled like double of what I have done. So in, if I had gone to college and I'd gotten, you know, like it might have taken me a lot shorter time to do that um, because that's the part that I was missing. I think you can learn marketing, you can learn social media, but those fundamentals that I know Jean-Luc has and, and you know, you're running this agency and you, um, that part didn't click with me for quite a few years. Um, I was a freelancer. Yeah, I was a business owner, but I'm not, you know, not really running a business and just, you know, it was a very different attitude that I had. So that's the part that I was missing. And I'm not saying you can't get that when you don't go get a formal education. Um, but somehow I missed a lot of that. And, and now I'm here. Now I'm there. You know, <laughs> it took me a little bit longer. So what you can't, you, you, you can I, what I'm saying is you can be man-made or self-made. You can, you know, do do it without a formal education. You don't have those basic things. Like I would have loved to take a psychology course or leadership seminar um, or project management. Or, you know, those are all things that I learned way later into my business, probably six, seven years later. Um, speaking, writing, writing, copywriting. I mean, things that um, you really need as a social media manager. Um, those are the skills much later that I started really working on. I'm actually nodding because actually I re recognize a lot of things and not necessarily that I think the educational, the formal education way is easier or even faster. Uh, when I had to decide which study I was going to do, there was no Facebook. There was no LinkedIn. There was no Instagram. All of those things didn't exist. I think sixdegrees.com existed. Uh, that's what that was, and, and ICQ existed. So I, I think it's hard because also, I, and, and I've been a lecturer for a couple of years now on, on online marketing and social media. And the problem is, I think there are, it's so multidimensional, like you said. I would have loved to learn psychology because people underestimate the importance of psychology and social media marketing. They just, completely underestimate how important it is know is knowing how the brain works and what parts of the brain you can actually jump into with a social media campaign and which parts of the brain you cannot jump in 
do with a social media campaign unless and then what does unless until so I, I think what does help when you have an uh, 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 educational background like university or college is uh, the solution, the thinking level for solutions and problems that you come across and how you can scientifically uh, find out with numbers and with experiments and research whether something or not works. But but that's about it. I mean, I I... I think the biggest advantage for me personally for studying uh, or going to the university and getting my master's, it's it's more that I did social science. And because I did social science, um, and it was very broad, the studies that I did, I got to see a lot of more of the social side of social media. And what happened in, in Suriname, uh, and it must have happened in other countries as well, is that in the beginning, people were tying up social media to ICT mm-hmm. and of course there is an ICT aspect uh, but there's also a marketing aspect so in the beginning when we were having meetings with clients um, we would be there in a meeting and then the the management would say like okay so this is our ICT person and they will be involved with social media and that would be somebody uh, that was fixing the, the, the printers and the scanners mm-hmm. and had like no interest whatsoever uh, coming up with, with marketing content. So it, it took a while as well to figure out for these companies like, no, wait, this is not part of the ICT department. It, it's part of the marketing and communications department. And, and I, think, I think figuring it out, that's what it's been about. And especially if you see how quick things move. Like for instance, if you were on TikTok three years ago, and you were active and you would post every day, it's getting to 100,000 followers would have been much easier than if you're just starting out now. The people who are already on Clubhouse, I mean, Clubhouse, it could disappear quickly, but those people that are already on Clubhouse have a huge advantage over the people that were waiting for the Android app to come out. So these are kind of things, and like you said, you mentioned it earlier, it moves so quick and the market changes so quickly. And the only consistent thing is actually the human behavior. So, so I think the experience is, is in this case, much more important than, than formal education. But of course, also the willingness to adapt. Because if you would be doing the same things that we were doing five years ago, uh, uh, we would be bankrupt as a company as well, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think basic skills like communication, um project management those are really good skills copywriting like i mentioned before but then also it takes a certain person you have to have empathy you have to be able to multitask you have to be able to like talking to people at least online uh you have to be able to read between the lines you know i'm I'm beyond a social media manager i'm also community manager where i manage online communities where you know people might say one thing but really mean another and you know, if you're black and white and you're just hearing this only and you can't read between the lines, and you know, it's almost like being a mom. <laughs> you know, we just you have to you have to like they're saying this, but they really mean that. Um, and as a social media manager, those skills come in really handy when you communicate online because you know a lot of emotion gets communicated. It's nonverbal. I think I, when we speak, um, only seven percent is verbal. Ninety ninety three percent of when we communicate is nonverbal. 
It's you nodding your head and how you look and all those things. So when we're texting, we only see a little bit of what people mean. And so on social media, when you communicate, that's why video does better um, than written text. But um, yeah, that's the, and if you don't understand that part, then, you know, working in social media marketing, you're going to have a much harder time. Great. Uh, and yeah, um, Tanya sums that up. The emotional intelligence is a key factor to um, to know what drives people and to use in your marketings, for example. Um, and But before we go to the other questions, I want to uh, share a bit as well because um, I don't have a background in marketing. I don't have a background. I actually did engineering. And so the starting point for you and me are pretty same. Um, maybe I, I grew up in a, a more social media exposed world. Um, but the formal education background, I did not have. Uh, I did engineering. I was that IT guy kind of thing. But yeah, that didn't really stick. Tried coding. Um, now I opted for the creative path to create content. That's how we ended up here. But I've learned most of this just through the process of doing and learning. Because as you said, everything changes so fast in this world and you got to adapt. And a key thing I think that people should learn is the ability to learn and to unlearn. Because what you know 10 years ago might not apply now. And you have to be able to unlearn that quickly to adapt new uh, what's new and what works. And that psychological aspect as well. I started valuing that I, I went to a rabbit hole of reading books on psychology just because it was fascinating to see how, you know, the, the brain works. I, I got one book right here, The Psychology of Persuasion. And they, they talk about the, the six principles of scarcity, social proof, uh, authority, and just the basic understanding, not even going into a deep dive, that awareness already gives you a huge advantage. Maybe advantage isn't the right word, but uh, a huge leap ahead to understand how things can affect, I think, the world in general. Because the most influential people now send out a tweet and the whole world goes crazy. <laughs> so that, that, True. That, is, that is a controversy in itself. Yeah. No, for sure. But so yeah, Diego, uh, do you, do you yeah. want to pick out a couple of more questions to close out? Uh, yeah, so um, I think we can move to the final part. And that's, uh, you talked about speaking in conferences and you go to these conferences to, you know, connect to people and not necessarily the content. And I think I'm pretty similar. In the beginning, I was like, okay, yeah, uh, it's fun to learn, but I, I volunteered for these things just to meet people as well now. Um, but that ties into, I guess, the final part. Could you ex uh, share with us, I guess, your first conference experience and to round that off, what the future social media marketing trends do you see uh, having experienced a lot of conferences for the foreseeable future? 
All right, so let me start with uh, what I see is happening already, and I'm sure you guys are seeing the same thing. As much as we go live and as much as we go you know, into the world and everybody can talk to us and see us, I think a lot of the future in social media that's happening now is private. Um, and I, when people hear me say that, they're like, what? Um, Jean-Luc and I, you know, we met in real life, but then the next conversation was private, was through Facebook Messenger and then LinkedIn Messenger. Um, and that's where um, you make appointments, you say, let's hop on a Zoom, um, in LinkedIn, in, in Instagram, um, that's where the conversations are going. That's what's happening. People want to feel valued, want to feel special. Um, one of the things that I do as a marketer, um, when um, somebody I know or, or, you know, is an influencer or a friend or somebody I've met at a conference and I want to reconnect with them when it's their birthday, instead of posting on their wall, um, I will just grab my phone and I'll make like a 30 second video and say, oh, I want to show you this. Isn't this like cool? That's my oh, Vermont cool. license plate. That's my phone. Um, <laughs> um, but I'll make them a little video and say, hey, I was thinking about you. You know, I know it's your birthday today. I know you're going to have lots of messages, but I really enjoyed meeting you. And I just want you to know I'm thinking about you on your birthday. And people love it. And it's that little bit of extra thing that you do that that builds those relationships and that continues those relationships. But it has to be genuine, of course. Um, so my first con conference experience was actually um, in Myrtle Beach. It was a local conference um, in 2013. And Jay Bear, you know, Jay Bear came. Um, and because I really hadn't taken any marketing money, three years in, wasn't making that much money to go anywhere. But now there's a marketing conference in Myrtle Beach. He came. Um, and I, because I was local, um, I did stock all of the speakers. And so I was tweeting with them. And so while I was at the conference, I'm like, can I have a picture with you? So every time I go to a conference and Jay Bear is there, he and I take a picture together because we've been at a lot of sales, several conferences. Um, but while I was there, by accident, I was sitting in a, in a room and people were talking about going out to dinner. And so I went with them to dinner and it was like eight of us and somebody from North Carolina, somebody from South Carolina, you know, different places. And we went to dinner and that was my first aha moment. Nothing happened at the conference, but as soon as we sat down and had a meal, we became friends. And I've always remembered that when you sit and break bread with somebody, you become friends. And the same thing happens in social media marketing world. I had, I went back in 2017, I've been 2015 all the way through. In 2017, I happened to get to a table, um, 12, you know, I just signed up on a Google sheet. I'm going to go to this dinner. And out of that dinner with 12 people, me one being one of 12, I got three speaking engagements, three. Just by being there, breaking bread with these people, making meaningful conversations and sitting there for two hours. And that's where the magic happens. It's in the private conversation. So that's really what I see that's happening. It can't just be other people coming to you. You've got to reach out. You've got to, you know, and of course be genuine, but, um, and be giving, you know, be sharing. You can't keep all the secret sauce to yourself, guys. If you're, you know, you got to pull people up and you've got to, you know, every once in a while get a handout, but you've got to, you got to give, you got to share what, what works. You've got to share, you know, about conferences and invite people, include people and just like you would do in real life. But that needs to happen on social media as well. Um, and when you are like that, it'll come back hundredfold, you know, when you are genuine and you share and you invite and you include, um, that's really, that's, that would be what I'm seeing and that's happening and that works really well.
Interesting. I, I think I think it's it's interesting because the idea of sharing your knowledge freely uh, is is something that a lot of people have problems with. Um, just just a quick tangent because it's something that we struggle with a lot in Suriname is not willing to to tell people your idea because you're worried it's it's gonna get stolen by somebody else and 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 for me it's quite easy either, either the idea is that good that you patent it and that you make effort to patent it and sell the idea to somebody else or just be happy that somebody else actually does something with the idea because otherwise nothing will happen with it but it a, a, a scare for us to to tell ideas here in Suriname because we're just afraid somebody else is going to run with it. Well, if your idea is good, in the end, it's still about the execution. But um, yeah, that's something that I just wanted to get off my plate. There, there are a lot of of comments now going into the to the IT part. Of course, we have a lot of viewers that uh, work at the IT departments, and <laughs> there are even stories of uh, of people walking up to the IT department and asking them if they can fix the water cooker. <laughs> That's how extreme it gets. And, uh, and, and Gregory also is now into social media coming from uh, become, being a system manager IT. So um, he recognizes some of the, the, the problems. Cool. So uh, any final thoughts? Because uh, the, the, the questions came in at the end and um, we don't want to make this episode too long so maybe do can we do a short summary and then we'll give the last word to Doreen if she has anything else that she'd like to share with us Chanuk mm -hmm. so do you want to do a quick summary of the questions that still popped up yeah mm -hmm. okay so uh, let's start with the questions that we've uh, not missed. First of all, Joel, you're going to have to explain what the potato comment is because I missed that one. Uh, secondly, uh, Nathaniel asked what human uh, needs are answered by social media. Um, Joel also mentioned the mentality of the IT guy having to do everything that's barely IT related. Sounds uh, scary, <laughs> scary familiar. And I do think uh, I'm going to leave Marlon's comment to the, the last because I think that's one we should we should quickly answer uh, Stephanie says she can uh, attest to the psychology background being a huge advantage uh, in communications so thanks for sharing that Stephanie because that's indeed something that we underestimate Nathaniel also wanted to talk a little bit about AI uh, Marvin wanted to talk a little bit also about uh, the influencer the social media influencers and how they are becoming kind of the new marketeers and uh, Tanya uh, agrees that saying that some things we can do alone, telling your ideas out loud, could be beneficial. Uh, I think it definitely could. Uh, I agree that. But the, the comment that I saved for last is, uh, do you think volunteering or conferences in, uh, is the right approach after migrating to grow your network and then uh, and platforms that are the right approach before migrating? So I think this is a very specific question. This is a question about migrating to the U.S. and and how can you, I guess, prepare yourself as well? And, and what are the right approaches? If For some of us, like we're young 
were thinking of starting a new career, Suriname is, is limited in, in, in some ways. So we want to go to the U.S. And what could be approach for us getting into the, the field of uh, social media? And this attests for people that just want to migrate, but I guess also for Surinamese entrepreneurs who want to jump into the U.S. market. Like what, what should be an approach or what could be approach for us? There is no better way to meet the right people at a conference than volunteering. And, you know, I volunteer that big social media marketing conference. I know you volunteer there too, but I have met the best and the most awesome people through volunteering. My last job there um, last year was I was a speaker handler, uh, which meant I got to uh, intimately meet um, Mark Schaefer and Mari Smith and, you know, some of these awesome, awesome keynote speakers. And I got to, you know, make them tea and walk them to their room and sit in and hold their backpack, you know, and me, the other part to that is you then meet the other volunteers who are also in the same industry. And so it's, it's a great way to be at the conference, be part of a conference, not spend all that money on a ticket. Um, and then but also position yourself um, and it's all about serving, you know, when you are there, you gotta, you gotta, you know, pay, you know, have your time there, but, um, it's, that's really a great way. But, um, if you want to meet, if you want to get into the industry into the marketing industry and you're in Suriname and you, you're looking to connect with people in the U S, um, just remember they're human and, you know, humor goes a long way. Interest goes a long way. Read somebody's Twitter bio before you tweet at them. You know, I had somebody tweet at me a couple of years ago when I said I had three dogs that was selling um, some kind of dog leash where you can leash three dogs. We had a wonderful conversation. Didn't end up buying the leash, but he looked at my bio and he had the right, you know, idea. So read the bio, you know, share content, you know, sharing and liking content is free guys. It's a free thing to do. It's just your time. Like, share, comment, get to know people, go to Twitter chats, you know, in a nice way, contribute to the conversation and, and people start knowing who you are. Again, being that giver, being part of the community. And then once they know who you are and they welcome you back, you've been to a Twitter chat four weeks in a row, you can send that private message and say, hey, I've really enjoyed it. If you know, part of your Twitter chat, I have a question, you know, and start the conversation, go private. That's when you go private. But it's really all about genuine interest and, and knowing where you want to go. I think that also helps. Um, a friend of mine gave this as advice, you know, on LinkedIn and Facebook, you should never just scroll, figure out, you know, your top people who you want to meet, the people that are at your level that you want to connect with. And then you have your friends. So your friends are going to share whatever you say or do on LinkedIn, right? They're just, you know, you have a funny video. They're always going to come and share. Then the, your colleagues, you might need to tag them to get their attention. But then you have these upper level people that you want to meet. You go to their profile. You get a list ready and you click on their link. You go to their content and you intentionally engage with them. That's how you do it. So you can do that on Facebook. You can do that on LinkedIn. But you know, having an idea of where you want to go helps. The year that I really jump-started my speaking career, and this, I'm just going to tell you how I did it. I made a plan. I'm going to speak on 12 stages. So in order to do that, I had to have one speaking engagement a month because I needed to build my resume. So I reached out to anybody I knew that had a conference or worked at a conference, and I was able to do it. I got to 12 stages, so the next year I could start charging. But you have, if you don't have a strategy, if you don't have a plan, 
you're not going to get back to, to your goal, right? Because a, a plan has to have a goal. So you do the same intentionally when you're on social media, when you want to get into the industry, when you get to meet people is it's not overnight. You've got to put in the work and you've got to be genuine and you got to reach out and make those connections. Wow, that's that's great, uh, great advice to uh, close off with. Yes, uh, and I'd like to add, um, it isn't as intimidating as it may seem. Because as Dorian said, there's human. And sometimes they even want that break from all that attention and something private. Um, I'm just speaking from experience because I'm in a fellowship right now. And yeah, at first it seemed intimidating if you go to the roster of who's in it. But once you start having the conversation, it just flows. It's like you're friends for a while now. And that, that, that's what you got to aim for that building intentional relationships. And I think Doreen hit all the right nails with her last statements there. Yes. So quickly, two more com comments. Uh, one, the international stay at home option is Hive. Joel, thank you for the Hive plug. Joel, I'm going to, I'm going to pass the Hive torch to you tonight. So it's just so you're aware of that. And Gregory, I missed the podcast. Damn. So I think this is the plug where you quickly can tell the people where they can watch the podcast, Diego. And then, of course, we're going to ask Doreen as well how people can connect with her. Yeah, so clo to close up, as you guys know, we're live every Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Surinamese time, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, the recordings will be up on the website the next Saturday and on all mainstream podcasting platforms, streaming platforms. Um, so check that out or tell your friends if they've missed that so you can watch the full episode. Um, furthermore, yeah, uh, I think uh, we could throw it to Doreen now to tell us what she's up to, if she were, should look forward to anything and where we can find her online. And maybe you guys can even reach out to her. I would love that. I would love that. So um, I'm most active on Facebook. Um, and I think there really only is one Doreen Moran von Dam. So um, you find me, you, that's me with orange glasses. Um, that helps. Um, and then the second platform I'm really active on is LinkedIn. I would love to connect with everybody on LinkedIn. Just shoot me a note and say, hey, I listened to the podcast or um, want to connect because I'm friends with Jean-Luc or Diego, you know, whatever you want to tell me. But then I'll accept your um, request, you know, connection request. Um, those are really the places you can message me on Facebook. If you have a follow up question, that's fine, too. Um, again, I'm a community manager, so I really spend a lot of time online on Facebook. So that's that's fine. If you want to email me, my website is more media. So it's Doreen at more um, dot com. So um, mm. Any of those. Yeah, there you go. So on Instagram and Twitter, I'm more in media. Um, so that's also my website, morenmedia.com. So any of those ways will will get to me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Doreen. I'm going to leave in one more comment. Uh, this was an epic episode, epic interview, and we should have Doreen and Austin in once again. Yes, people, we're definitely going to have a feature for them in the next year definitely awesome. thank you so much Doreen thank you for having it's me and I'm coming to Suriname <laughs> we're looking forward to it yeah this has been 
when the world's open. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. This has been Social Convos. We'll be back next week, Tuesday at 9 o'clock Surinamese time. Thank you all for watching. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.